0: Well, welcome everybody to the 10th episode of the Blow Off Valve podcast. It's the podcast for all things automotive and motorsports news and really for anything else we find interesting. We're your hosts, Tucker and Alex, uh, and we've got a great show this week, although we'll be starting off with kind of some sad news. This week uh, was the passing of Sabine Schmitz, who was kind of, I think, a, a... a beloved cult figure in in the world of motorsports and Top Gear, especially for those of you who don't know, Sabine was really kind of renowned as a ring taxi driver uh, at the Nurburgring and uh, earned the the nickname the Queen of the Ring for her skill driving around the the Nurburgring, which she estimated that throughout her her career she had done more than twenty thousand laps of and she really kind of rose to international fame from her appearances on Top Gear and Fifth Gear uh, as well. She was an accomplished racing driver uh, and was the first woman ever to win the 24 Hours of Nürburgring in 1996. Uh, she followed that up by winning it again in 97. Uh, she kind of had an interesting childhood. She was born within the confines of the Nürburgring at a and lived at a hotel restaurant that her parents owned. And unfortunately, she passed away this week at the age of 51 after a uh, A multi-year battle with cancer that really not many people uh, knew about publicly. Um, And she was still showing up on USA's Top Gear uh, until really quite recently. I think she was in episode two or three of the the new series. Where she really became internationally known was her first Top Gear appearance in the fifth episode of season four, where she coached Jeremy Clarkson to a 9.59 lap of the Nürburgring in a Jaguar S-type diesel. And she famously kind of was giving him some shit and, and said i'll tell you something i can do that lap time in a van uh and <laughs> and it's a wonderful video if you haven't seen it she actually in a season later they they went back to the ring and gave her a ford transit van to see if she could uh beat the lap time and she got close she got a 10 a 12 so she was 13 seconds off the, the mm-hmm. jaguars lap time uh you watched the video tucker what'd you think
1: yeah i mean it's it's super impressive uh to watch her rip around that track uh, in the van i mean i think what would have been even more jarring you know for me would have to have been out on the track thinking i'm doing a good
0: job and a blown by <laughs> in a van
1: <laughs> <laughs> cuz i know in the video you, you can see you're yelling at some uh, guys driving motorcycles her <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to get the hell out of the way <laughs> yeah she was like you're so,
0: going too slow uh it's yeah. a it's a phenomenal <laughs> video and And, you know, every time I saw her, whether it was Top Gear, Fifth Gear, she just always had a smile, always had a wonderful upbeat attitude. And in kind of the outpouring of love for her on social media this week from a lot of well-known, you know, personalities, Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, uh, Chris Harris, uh, all these people that have worked with her, they just said she was just an absolutely lovely person. Uh, And you could really, that really came through on TV. And so, you know it's just i think is a uh, a huge loss to kind of the motorsports and motor journalism community uh cuz just a wonderful person phenomenal driver you know a life really cut short extremely young i mean 51 years old um yeah it's really so, too bad like you alluded to
1: earlier i mean i had had no idea that was going on so it it feels a little
0: bit more like a sudden loss probably for some people. Right. I mean, yeah, it's something that she'd been battling supposedly for three years. Uh, it sounded like she, you know, had thought that she had been over it and then I guess was in remission shortly and then had a recurrence. Uh, They don't, none of the articles really say what type of cancer she had, but whatever it was, it it recurred. And, and unfortunately, um, it sounds like they kind of ran out of, ran out of treatment options and, and, um, you know, she she passed away, but uh, I mean, a hell of a you know, she packed a hell of a lot into 51 years of life, which is yeah, pretty incredible. A really
1: good point. Yeah, not a lot of people that can give Jeremy Clarkson shit
0: and get away with it too. <laughs> I know, and, and live <laughs> to tell. It's pretty day. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah always tough to you know start start off on a sad note but uh, she was really an amazing figure so we thought it was definitely worth uh, kind of briefly discussing her um, her uh, legacy today and um, but we'll move on to our, our kind of next big news items for the week Audi came out and said that they were abandoning new uh, internal combustion engine development while BMW said uh, they are not going to be doing that This came out through an interview with Audi's CEO, Marcus Dusman, who said basically that the stricter Euro 7 emission standards um, are going to make developing internal combustion engines really kind of prohibitive. So the planned Euro 7 standard provides for really strict emission standards for motor vehicles starting in 2025. So any new vehicles will only be allowed to emit 30 milligrams of nitrogen oxide per kilometer. And... Just for context, the current limit is 60 milligrams. So basically the engines would need to be, mm-hmm. you know, 50% more uh, emissions friendly. And uh, so in an interview with um, one of the uh, German newspapers, he said, we'll no longer develop a new combustion engine, but we'll adapt our existing combustion engines to new emissions guidelines. And he said the plans for the Euro 7 standard, are technically a huge challenge but at the same time, little benefit for the environment. This places extreme restrictions on the internal combustion engine. So Audi is going to continue to sell combustion engines for many years to come, uh, but it's going to be basically developed off their existing platforms. They just don't financially see, you know, a benefit to a whole new ground up construction. So you think this is kind of, we'll get into BMW's response, but do you think this is kind of the part of the Volkswagen Audi group saying, you know, we're going fully electric? Yeah, it certainly seems like that. I mean, they've alluded to that fact over the years, you know, to some
1: extent, it's um, not super surprising that they're coming out with that. I think as a company, it's obviously always really hard to predict the future to know when are we going to kind of mass market convert to EVs and, and battery electrics. But um, mm-hmm. I assume that having to do research R&D for you know both gas and electric kind of splits your you know, your budget, right? And so if you, if you really do foresee the future being electric, it is probably time to start focusing on that kind of optimizing your money. You know, I, I think a number of these companies maybe that, you know, might be thinking that it'll be a seamless transition, but, you know, as we've seen with Tesla and just the growing pains with a number of electric car manufacturers, it's probably Mm -hmm. not as simple as it looks. And so You know, the sooner you start producing, the sooner you're kind of grappling with the challenges, optimizing things, the more likely you're going to be competitive in the future. So, right. um, I think it's kind of
0: a catch 22. As you said, like you want to be in on the ground floor as close to it as possible if you think that it is truly the future. But they're like developing EVs and putting them out into a marketplace that from an infrastructure standpoint really cannot accommodate even 20% of the population driving EVs let alone the majority right. you know
1: yeah no that's a really good point i think uh, you know the car manufacturers that are you know serious about it probably need to band together and get that infrastructure off the ground yeah. you know they need to make it conducive for kind of transcontinental travel and they need to have they need to really scale up you know fast chargers in big cities um, Because some people are not going to charge it at home or at their apartment. And so they're going to need to charge at a fast charger. And I think, you know, once that backbone is in place, then I think you're going to start to see gas stations realize, hey, we've got a captive audience for 20 minutes. These people Mm -hmm. on average spend X amount more dollars than somebody filling up with gas. They'll start to see an incentive in it. and, um, And probably private market could maybe take over a little bit more at that point. But I think yeah. in the initial stages, it's probably going to have to be probably government and then um, mm-hmm. automotive manufacturers.
0: Well, that's the that's the thing that's kind of interesting to me about all this is the politics behind it. So like you've got the the EU imposing this really strict emission standards for new car sales, while at the same time not providing hardly any you know, financial backup to start kind of putting in a bunch of supercharger stations or like a, a fast charging network. So they're saying you have to. They're telling all the manufacturers you have to. Essentially, you have to go EV without providing any <laughs> any of right. the, the, the finances to develop EV infrastructure. It's like I, right, I, I totally feel like right. I, I feel for them because. You know, what do you do? It's like, yeah, like you said, eventually the private guys will say, like, oh, well, when people are charging their car for 25 minutes at our gas station, they'll come in and buy food and drinks. And so they'll start having more chargers, but that's still going to take a while. Yeah.
1: You know, and as you alluded to, the electrical, just the, you know, generation to um, accommodate all that, you know, is another aspect that's going to have to be sorted out. I think you hear some rumblings with the Biden administration about you know a big push for EV infrastructure right and right. i honestly i can't say that i know exactly what's in europe um, but like you alluded to if they're pushing for these emission changes i mean those emissions are at least hybrid if not electric to achieve right and so you, you know you really need to approach that with kind of two prongs one here's you know the stick you're going to need to do this. And then mm-hmm. here's the carrot. Here's right. some money to help. Um, yeah. I think the one thing to keep in mind, I you know, I do get the sense that the Chinese and the Chinese government sees this as the future. And, I, mm-hmm. and they are putting mm-hmm. a lot of funding behind it. So to yeah. some extent, I do think that it makes sense to, you know, probably move more rapidly towards being kind of all in on it because... Mm -hmm. there's going to be growing pains and at some point theoretically speaking these cars should be cheaper than gas once the battery packs and which which you know prices have decreased dramatically on over even 10 years they're just simpler you know vehicles to assemble they have less parts they really should be cheaper than gas cars and so right well you know enthusiasts like us are kind of brand loyal and you know things like that there's a lot of people out there that just don't give a shit about the car they drive. And if you can say, hey, our car, this this is electric. It costs 7000 or, you know, whatever less than the equivalent gas car. Plus, let's say maybe there's a tax incentive. Mm-hmm. They're just going to switch. They're not even going to think about it. They're going to be like, okay, great. That's, wow, that's a lot of, because those electric cars are probably going to offer the same kind of safety features. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who aren't brand loyal are driven by, you know, kind safety, of uh, amenities. Yeah, things yeah. like that. So if the Chinese come out with a brand that costs, you know, eight to $9,000 less and they do that quickly, you might see something that maybe happens like Kia did in the United States where it's like, you know, go back 20 years, it's like, okay, what the hell brand is that? I've never seen one of those before. And then all of a sudden they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, Because I think they offered a a lot of amenities at a good price. And so that's where you get new brands coming in and being successful.
0: Kia. I mean, part of Kia's coup also, which I think could be extended to the EV market for a new manufacturer or something is they were notorious for their like 10 year warranty.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know, a good so point. They
0: basically, I mean, there's no, no better way to tell a customer that you're, you're confident in your quality of your product than to say like, we've got a 10 year power tra- you know, unlimited mile powertrain warranty and yeah, you
1: know,
0: all that sort of stuff. So I, I think you're right. I think hybrid, I think at a minimum, you know, these companies are all going to have to go hybrid to meet these emissions demands because particularly if you're living in like a bigger city. You know, if you've got a hybrid that can go full EV for 15, 20 miles, that might be your entire driving for the day. Exactly. I mean, it could make a big difference. And I think the challenge is like, again, infrastructure, you know, people living in big cities that are, I mean, think about New York city, like people street parking and and things like that. Like you, you can only have so many charge locations. So I think they're going to have to, figure out how to retrofit like parking garages and uh, a lot of gas stations and all that sort of stuff with charging yeah. stations and, and where all that power is going to come from. Cause that, that demand on the power bit is going to be substantial. Yeah. Um, so
1: I think it's interesting, you know, when you look at, uh, just to kind of sum up at least my opinion on this, I think the manufacturers that are going all in are, are probably in alignment with what the future will hold. Right. The companies that are dabbling, <clears throat> they're probably going to be okay. They're going to have some catch-up to do if things happen quicker than they expect. And the question is, will they be competitive when these new companies like Tesla and let's assume some Chinese company in mm-hmm. 10 years is, is, has an ultra-efficient, you know, cost-effective EV? The companies mm-hmm. that are dragging their feet on it, I really don't know that they're going to survive this transition. Summer companies are going to go extinct and you're going to have new companies, um, right, you know, at the end of it. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, kind of wading into that that middle ground, like you mentioned, uh, BMW uh, has said that they're not calling quits on internal combustion engine development anytime soon. The CEO of BMW, Oliver Zips, uh, has said that BMW predicts robust demand for internal combustion cars for years to come. They are still kind of pursuing electrification in their I4 uh, sedan, but the company isn't going all in quite yet, suggesting that it doesn't see a full EV takeover in the immediate future. Their current lineup lineup is, is going pretty heavy into plug-in hybrids, but uh, it says the majority of its serials are still standard internal combustion cars. So Even if the ICE cars eventually go away, there's probably at least one more generation of internal combustion BMWs, which, you know, makes sense. Like if they can come out with some of those cars in 2023, 2024, they'll still be able to, you know, sell them new prior to the Euro 7 regulations. And, you know, it also kind of for these companies, if you ignore the the climate aspect of it, which obviously is a huge part of it. But if you're strictly looking at it from a sales, how are we making money standpoint? If BMW sees that the majority of its sales are ICE cars and the majority of its sales are not in Europe, whether it's yeah. in US, China, wherever, then it may say, well, there's a justification for us to continue making this product. You know, Maybe BMW's position- positioning itself as one of the, the last automakers that will still sell you a non-hybridized internal combustion car.
1: Yeah, and I think that was a good you know, Audi, um, their CEO kind of made mention of the same thing. It's like we envision there will be regions where Mm -hmm. the charging infrastructure is just not going to be there. And if you're going to make an a four that just, you know, looks different, but you know, doesn't really remarkably change in, you know, MPG, Mm -hmm. like who cares really if it uses the same, you know, same engine, like nobody cares. It's a, it's it's kind of a middle of the road you know car where you know there it's a mass production car so like you know mm-hmm. if you want to stop a generation early manufacturing these engines well or you know engineering a slightly more efficient engine maybe it's just going to be more valuable to uh, keep what you've got or try to hybridize it in some way
0: yeah i I think it's, the funny thing to me is you've got Audi and BMW, which are two luxury brands, essentially luxury performance brands. And, you know, they're still looking at markets that they think are not going to have good EV infrastructure. And I would think that most of the markets that are not going to have good EV infrastructure are also probably not markets that can afford to buy a bunch of BMWs and Audis. <laughs> you know what <laughs> to I mean? Like, with. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> like like the their biggest sales are in Europe, the U.S., and probably China I would assume and all of those markets are, are going to have pretty robust EV infrastructures uh in the mm. next 10 years presumably you know yeah if you're trying you to know, sell BMWs in like the DRC or in Somalia yeah. I could imagine they're not going to have good EV infrastructures but they're probably not selling a bunch of BMWs there either you know it's an interesting thought too it uh, I read something at some point somewhere, he was in The
1: Economist, but they were just talking about, you know, Chinese soft power in the future. And let's say, Mm -hmm. you know, as a country, if that, if they see that as, you know, their country's success in terms of, you know, kind of market dominance, economic dominance, it might be something that, you know, let's say they're, you know, some kind of state-owned Tesla-like company that goes into uh, parts of the world and just says, Listen, we're going to build out your infrastructure, mm-hmm. and, and we will help pay for that.
0: Cars. <laughs> You're going to
1: buy our cars, and they're going yeah. to be cheap as shit, and they're going to work great, and have you know little thing little that could go wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, look at America with uh, like the Ford, the Model mm-hmm. T. um, yeah. those type of things like define a country's success, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think the I don't think that's lost on the Chinese. So, um, yeah.
0: I think it's a really good point and you know China certainly has the the resources and the ability to focus on a problem you know regardless of all the horrible things <laughs> that yeah, for people's opinion wrong. uh <laughs> You know, they do have a, an ability to focus and effort to yeah. accomplish things like that. So I think you might be on to something. Um, but anyways, you know, kind of interesting diverging paths for two, you know, large German automakers. So we'll see ultimately who um, who is more prescient uh, and comes out the winner in that. But uh, the last thing we wanted to touch on uh, was something that I thought was fascinating. <laughs> you 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 uh, texted me about this week, this <laughs> it's huge and i mean it's something that i was completely unaware of not being a, a tycon order but there was a huge update for the tycon and you had to go through quite a process for this if, if you well yeah that. and actually they
1: uh, they uh the update is getting pushed out to the 21s and it's a smaller update because in the conversion between the 20s and the 21s you know they they improved some of the things, but. Mine's a 2020. And so um, I was up at the dealership getting a couple other service things taken care of. And I was just talking with their, you know, shop manager and and he was like, yeah, there's a really big update coming. It's, uh, you know, like a four sequence update. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to take uh, eight hours. And he he said, you know, because they said that, that basically means it's going to be two days for us. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at the list of things, you know, they're updating and it's, it's pretty insane. And I yeah. think it 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 kind of harkens to the difference in pre-EV and post-EV. You know, post-EV, the, the updates are still going to be big. They're going to be complicated. But mm-hmm. I think cars are going to be architected almost for their uh, hardware and software infrastructure to kind mm-hmm. of make sure that that can be efficiently modified and that the devices themselves are ultra efficient you know you could mm-hmm. probably 10 years ago contract out your air conditioner to whoever the hell in the world would make it as cheap as possible and who yeah. gives a damn about whether it's efficient or not but right. in the future you pile you know 15 of those devices on an ev that are really inefficient you lose 100 miles of range right um right and so i think the future with EVs, it truly is software. And that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier on when we were talking about this transition. The companies that start working on this are going to realize that sooner than those that don't. And I think Volkswagen is very clearly understands that much of Tesla's advantage comes from their software. And Mm -hmm. I think they learned that when they were making the ID three and this, the software apparently was a mess. And so they just said, all right, screw it. We're just going to keep manufacturing the physical car because we're really good at that. And we'll just Mm -hmm. pile them up and we'll try to get all the software sorted out and update all of them at once before we start putting them on the road. Mm -hmm. And and it, it just alluded, it, it made me chuckle because I thought back to, um, you know, Elon and, and Tesla and they were saying like, oh God, you know with The Model 3, we're just completely in production hell right now. And mm-hmm. when Audi went to make the Etron, their CEO said, oh, well, we will never be in production hell. And I mm-hmm. thought the funny thing is they're in software hell and they've been yeah, in software right. hell a while, <laughs> but they just like are finally realizing it. And so they've hired tremendous amount of software engineers they're bringing a lot of their software engineering in house these mm-hmm. are the things that you know traditional manufacturers are going to need to do to be successful in the long run and the sooner they get that message across that's they can they can start competing for the best software programmers and they can start architecting the next cars like in the the right fashion, the people yeah. that delay that it's going to be a tough thing to catch up on. I mean, think about all the things we buy that have like, you know, shitty software um, mm-hmm. and how frustrating that how is. Frustrating. And, and, yeah. Especially wonder, on a I, new car that you're going to spend a bunch of money on if it doesn't work because right. of software.
0: <laughs> I wonder if, um, you know, legacy manufacturers are going to kind of turn into a new version of Silicon Valley where the best Software engineers and programmers become routinely paid well into the six figures because their value to the brand and to the company now is so significant, you know, like previously maybe a mechanical engineer or, or something was like the most important person, like the guy that designed your engine. Is the guy yeah. getting paid the big bucks? Well now you don't have a guy designing your engine. You have
1: Yeah, it's it's the
0: gal that writes the best software. <laughs> right, exactly. So it you know, it's it's gonna be an interesting shift in the next in the coming, you know, decades to see if we truly do go all EV, are these manufacturers gonna be fighting over the the stars that are coming out of, you know, MIT or Stanford or wherever. You know, are they gonna be fighting Google and facebook and whatnot for these same people yeah. yeah
1: it's very likely i think
0: yeah i i it it's it's fascinating to me though that that <laughs> i i kind of was joking with you it's like i never really thought i would live in a world where like our cars were getting patches like my video game does yeah <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh, like, it's so you that when this, everything gets patched <laughs> you start out with one thing and then like two updates later your 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 car has whole different functionalities that yeah, it's, it didn't happen before. Yeah, just in the
1: Tycon, this is very simple, but the 2020s were produced with the ability to have Apple CarPlay that's like, you know, connects through Bluetooth. Right. But I, I don't know if it was a software issue or what, but when they pushed the 2020s out, you still had to use a cable. Mm-hmm. And so with this update in my car, it will get that ability to connect mm-hmm. through Bluetooth. And so. I'm not asking for much. To me that's like, oh that's great because I don't have to plug in my car every time I get in, you know, I'm just a short drive home from work. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like does, you know, like what was it? Tesla, they up they had like a an update for the Model 3 it was like a performance plus 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 package. Yeah. Pack. yeah. <laughs> you know, just, and all it, of a sudden, your car is completely different, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just you all of a sudden your car can just go faster because of the <laughs> software update. I mean, it's, interesting. it's, it's wild to me owning all, you know, conventional cars, because it's like, if I want, if I want my car to go faster, I have to go buy a part at the dealer and have them install it, you know? Yeah. Or you got to buy the new model <laughs> or I got to buy the new model where, you know, and, and for you, it's like, oh yeah, they just unlocked another like 50 horsepower, you know, with you the know, software
1: update. Yeah. And when you look at, in terms of like sustainability if these cars can indeed last a lot longer and let's hmm. say you you sell it and trade it in 5 years somebody else could get 5 years out of it because that car does still grow to some extent probably a good thing cuz you know what what does a car manufacturer make on a mo- you know a new model year each time they sell a car maybe it's not as much as you think whereas they sell a $1000 software package every couple of years it ends up being the equivalent you know revenue for them net revenue yeah. i mean
0: yeah i think i think it'll be interesting in the long term to see what happens with these because you still routinely see cars on the road that are 20 25 years old you know what i mean Th- and you think about that, how often do you see cars from the 90s and early 2000s like pretty often yeah. you know yeah. but if you maintain the car you got oil changes you took good care of it like you replace parts that fail Cars can last a very long time. With EVs, you're going to reach a point where the battery pack has to be replaced. And that Probably. is so cost prohibitive that I think a lot of these EVs are going to be off the road in 10 years. And Yeah,
1: especially like the one I'm driving right now. You know, if yeah. you have significant battery degradation, it, it becomes much more of a pain in the ass maybe to get where you go routinely. Right, But in the future, Um, if you've got solid state, you know, batteries with high capacities, like five, 600 miles, it may not be as big of a deal anymore. You know,
0: maybe I I just like, as it is right now, you can get a car, an older car, and maybe every two years, you got to spend five, 600 bucks on a part or something to keep it going, but you can keep it going for a long time. Um, And it's not cost prohibitive for most people to do that, but for an EV if the battery pack needs to be replaced it's basically cheaper just to get rid of it and lease a new one yeah, yeah. you know that's and so, that's right I and worry about the sustainability of some of this stuff
1: you're right we've got if you know we've got to do it in a sustainable way i i didn't read the full article but i saw an article where Porsche was talking about in the future as they electric they are really asking their suppliers to meet requirements for sustainable production as well so mm-hmm. that, you know, because right now I'm sure there's some marketing buzz where they're like, yeah, we got this plant, we assemble everything, it's super efficient, it's all, you know, hydropower and wind power, but mm-hmm. guys making the wheels somewhere are still, you know, using blast furnace and coal and, yeah. you <laughs> yeah. know, it's not quite sustainable. So I think they're pushing in
0: their supply chain to really improve that. I just hope they, I think it is admirable they're doing that. I hope they do hold them to. Those standards, and not do a Nike thing where it's like, "Oh, we had no idea a bunch of five-year-olds were putting together our shoes." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's not good. There's got to be some accountability. So, but, anyways, I thought it was really kind of fascinating difference in in you know how our cars. You know, my car my Porsche is presumably not going to evolve at all. And, <laughs> it's and of course, true, yeah. my time with it and it's fully
1: evolved though, to be it honest. Is fully be evolved. honest. <laughs> yeah.
0: But, but yours is, you know, you're getting, it's, you're getting upgrade points throughout its life cycle. So yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: We're on time. So, uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about this week, bud?
1: No, I don't think so. That's great. All
0: right. Well, thanks everybody for listening in. Um, We, uh, If you want to get in touch with us, our Instagram is the Blofeld Podcast, and uh, it's a good place to get uh, news on when new shows are coming out, uh, ask questions, give us show ideas, uh, really interact with us at all. And uh, if you're listening on iTunes or whatever site or service you're using, if you'd like and subscribe to the podcast, it really helps us uh, kind of reach more people. So until next week, uh, we'll uh, look forward to seeing y'all later.